Second Chronicles chapter one. If you got a Bible with you, last week started. Um, there's kind of a four week window be- uh, as far as like uh, in the preaching text series kind of thing. Uh, four weeks are kind of open. I feel like the Lord has handed down uh, something that's going to be fun to do. Uh, but last week starts started off talking about um, heavenly wisdom. Uh, as opposed to earthly wisdom, James helps us uh, in his book, helps us understand the difference between the two. And if I was to give you a quick, very reduced down definition of heavenly wisdom, um, it's, it's God perfectly knowing uh, what to do and how to do it. In any situation, anything that is happening, God uh, from his perfection and from who he is, he knows exactly what needs to happen. And he knows exactly how that needs to happen. And so uh, James is telling us, as really we see throughout the Bible, that, that our God, who has that heavenly wisdom, wants to share it with his sons and his daughters. Just like all of you parents want to share uh, all the goodness that you possibly can with your own children. And so we live in a world where we don't always know what's supposed to happen and how it's supposed to happen, and God knows perfectly. And so as our like perfect parent, he is there to, to guide us along. Um, in Second Chronicles, there's a story that, that's also uh, told in the book of First Kings chapter 3. And so we're going to look at, at both texts because they worded a little bit differently, and I think you push them together and you have a really, really cool understanding of what Solomon was going through. He has found himself in a position of leadership in Israel, and uh, it's overwhelming to him. And so uh, in verse 7 of Second Chronicles 1, it says, Then that night God appeared to Solomon. Uh, this, this was in a dream. God appeared to him and said, Ask what I shall give you. If you skip down to verse 10, Solomon says, this, he gets down, this is the crux of what he wants. He says, Give me now wisdom and knowledge, to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? He asked for wisdom and understanding. That, uh, because he's, he basically is saying, God, these are your people. And who knows better than you how to lead them? Um, in 1 Kings 3, I'm just going to read it to you. It'll be on the screens, but you don't need to turn to it. This is how that, uh, that passage uh, is explained. This is the request. He says, uh, And now, O Lord my God, you, you've made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I, I do not know how to go out or come in. Now, he's not actually a child. He's a, he's a full-grown man who's the king. But what he's saying is, as king, I feel like a child who doesn't really know all that they need to know to to like be a human, right? That's why we like, don't let them be little humans in the fullest extent until they have proven themselves and gotten older. Right. And he's saying, I feel like a kid. Like I have no idea how to lead these people. They're your people. I have no idea how to lead them. Um, verse eight, he says, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted or uh, for multitude. Give your servant therefore, and this is another way of saying wisdom an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern your great people. An understanding mind that I could understand, that I would know the difference. I would have discernment about what is good, what is evil. 
Um, that's another way of asking for wisdom. Help my mind to understand the difference, what needs to happen and how it needs to happen. Um, and so verse 11 in Second Chronicles, God answers Solomon. This is what he says. Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and not even asked for a long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I'll also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings had who were before you, and none after you shall have like have the like. In First Kings, it says, verse ten, it says it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. It pleased the Lord that he came to Solomon and said, "What do you ask for? Something I'll give it to you." And he asked for wisdom. It pleased him. Parents, doesn't it please you when your kids come to you and they're like, I, I'm, I don't know what to do with this situation. They may articulate it different ways as they, as they, they develop, but doesn't it, doesn't it bless you when they look to you and say, I need your help? It pleased the Lord. And then in verse 12, he says, Behold, I, I, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. So that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. That's why Solomon's reputation is, is no, he's known for his wisdom. And so this tells us something about our God. You know? Not only that, that he is the holder of the wisdom that we need, but that it pleases him when we ask for it and it pleases him to give it to us. Um, so in, Solomon would go on to write, I'm not sure what happened first. You know, there's... Bible doesn't really tell us that, but in Proverbs 9, he writes, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now that word fear in this kind of literature in the Bible, it doesn't mean uh, to be terrified of the Lord. It's a, it's a reverent, uh, like I stand in awe of you kind of thing. It's like when those songs that we sing, and they put all this truth about the Lord there, and you can barely sing it because you're just kind of stunned, you know. That that's the starting point for, for being wise enough to even ask for heavenly wisdom. Is you have to recognize who he is. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In Job, God says this in 28, verse 28. says, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. And so last week... And um, I kind of was like, okay, so if, if we're going to have fear of the Lord, like that, that biblical fear, uh, if we're going to have that sense of awe and reverence and just be stunned by him, um, then for me, something that's been very helpful is, uh, is the, the theological concept of uh, the, the transcendence and the eminence of God being together. That God, he is holy, so he, is, uh, he transcends everything else. He's distinct from his creation. He's not like uh, anything else that we have, can ever fathom, that he is, is infinite in all of his qualities, that, uh, that there is a holiness and a purity about him. And he transcends uh, the most massive things we know, like the universe. He transcends the universe. He transcends the, the biggest problems that we feel like we, we have among us, the things that we see. And so when we're overwhelmed by things like racism and human trafficking and genocide and war and pandemics, right? 
and uh, all these other kinds of things that just seem so massive that he is he transcends them. He's above them. He's beyond them. He's greater than all of them. And at the same time, he is imminent, meaning that he is near. He is close to us. That he's not only not only is his his holiness that 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 massive transcendence, but he's also love because he's with us. He cares. He's not above it in the sense of like, well, that's all beneath me. He's above it. And with all of that knowledge and all that, everything that he has, his choice is to be with his sons and his daughters. And so both of those things are, are, are together. They seem like they would be too different to be connected to each other. But they actually like fuse together and form this amazing union in a man named Jesus who we see with the we see the power of God we see him performing these miracles and teaching these teaching these truths and revealing the character of God I mean all these massive things about the transcendence of God we see it in Jesus and then he's saying let the little children come to me and he's letting the sinful woman anoint his feet and and weep over him over the goodness that she has experienced with him and and we see that tenderness, and we also see the transcendence in, in Christ. And so what, that reality for us, that is the beginning of wisdom. Like for that to, to seep deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts makes us the kind of people who instinctively come before God when something happens and say, God, I, I got to have heavenly wisdom here. Earthly wisdom is flying at me all the time, and it's, I, I get so tripped up by it, and it sounds so, um, it's just so easy. But what I need is to silence all that, and I just need the wisdom from heaven. The beginning point of that is that awe and reverence of the Lord. And so, if you turn to Psalm 139, we're going to spend the next three weeks going slowly through this psalm. It's kind of lengthy, and so it take a few weeks to go through it all. Um, but I believe that we have, uh, in Psalm 139 and in many of the Psalms, we, we have a journal entry. We have the, the, the poetry of, um, a man after God's own heart who made, who had some of the like most spectacular moments with God of anyone that's ever walked the earth. And he made some of the worst choices of anyone that's ever walked the face of the earth, you know? And he's, he's, basically given us a backstage pass into his process and what he has learned. He has realized the beginning of wisdom. And at some point, in my my opinion, uh, he taught his son named Solomon. And Solomon became the guy who was, as king, came before the Lord and asked for wisdom. So where did he learn that? Probably from his dad. That's where we learn stuff, right? So um, we're going to learn from Solomon's dad. We're going to go verses 1 through 12. Um, the first six is where we'll, where we'll start. Let me read it. It says, O Lord, you have searched and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. All right, let's stop right there. It seems like David is is overwhelmed with the fact that the transcendence and eminence of God uh, are married together and that that is, is how God is guiding his life and caring for him. It just, it, it seems like it, like in verse six, it kind of got to him of like, whoa, that's massive. And we see both of those things that are present. We see the transcendence of God first. Uh, look at verse two. It says, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up. Now, what, what, what is he alluding to? Um, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up, that is because God is present. And God isn't only, he's not only present like we're present in the room. He's omnipresent, which means that he's present everywhere. That you won't find a, you won't find a a space on, in, in all of creation where he is not present. And he's not only like present, present, present. He's a hundred percent present. Like there's as much of his presence in this room right now, as there is in heaven. That when you are driving down the road in your car, God is just as present there as he is in this room, as he is in heaven. That was just you and him at your house, just as present. 100% all the time. Says, you know when I sit down, when I rise up. Then he says, you discern my thoughts from afar. You discern my thoughts. Now, it's one thing to be present and to observe. It's very different to know what someone is thinking. This is pointing to his his omniscience. That he is all-knowing. And he's not just all-knowing in the sense that, like, he he understands, like, all the, like, physics problems, you know, um, he he knows all the answers to the mysteries of our world. Uh, those kind. Of, it's not that he knows all the facts about science and things. I mean, he does, but it's not just that. It's it's that kind of knowledge. It's it's I know what you were thinking in that moment. I, I know the the attitude that was going on inside, regardless of what your like actions were, or what your words were in that moment. I I know what's going on inside of you, as well as what I'm ob- observing. And so God is omniscient. He, he knows all the things about you. Then look at verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. So it's one thing to observe, and it's a different thing to know what's going on in the mind, but to be ahead of time? <laughs> like that's, a, uh, all right. And that's because, that's pointing to the, the eternal nature of God, that, meaning that God doesn't experience time in the linear sense like you and I do. Like we're just, you know, the the clock is ticking. We don't really know what's ahead. So we're always like kind of worried and wondering and planning and anticipating. In which the year 2020 has just laughed at us every time we try to do that, you know. It's like, yeah, two hurricanes, sure, you know, whatever. So we're experiencing it linear time. God is looking at all of time uh, Equally so. So he, he sees the, this moment in time as well as on this day at this exact time a thousand years ago and a thousand years from now. It hopefully doesn't last that long, but you know what I'm saying. Like 
he looks, he see, and he sees it all in, at one, in one moment, which makes zero sense to us, right? Like we cannot, it just doesn't work. But what it, I think what we can grasp onto is that he knows what's coming. And parents, if you knew what was coming for your kids, wouldn't, like, wouldn't you prepare them, teach them, equip them, train them, get them ready? Of course. You do that already in the things that you do know are coming. But if you had all knowledge of their future, I mean, so that's, that's what, like, pull all those together for a second in our minds. That the omnipresence, he's present everywhere 100%. Um, omniscience, he knows everything that's going on, not only the facts of science and history and all those things, but internally he knows our feelings and our attitudes and our thoughts, even before they actually happen in real time. Because he sees all the time at once, because he's not like us. And so, push, pull all those together for a second and think about how, what, what would you do if you had all those things, you know? There are, there are um, themes in like literature and different things where we, like people down that road. I'm not super up on literature, but I know a few movies that came to mind when I was thinking about it. Like, do you remember Bruce Almighty? Remember that, that movie? And he, I don't recall the exact plot points, but at some point he becomes God in some sense. And there's, I remember he, he sits down, he gets an email and it's like a prayer request to God, you know? And then they all start popping up. And he's like overwhelmed with all the requests and he just answers yes to all of them. And then they, like the whole world, you know, that would be terrible, right? If God answered all of our prayers, Garth Brooks hooked us up on that one, you know? Um, And so uh, first service didn't get that little joke right there. I I didn't say it. They would have gotten it, of course. Um, If we, if you were, if you were God, and you knew everyone's thoughts, and um, I mean, even down to like Back to the Future Two when he gets the sports almanac, uh, and like, like if you could predict the future, and he goes and he gambles, and it just it breaks the whole world, right? Like, it would be terrible if we knew the future. It would be terrible if we knew what everybody was thinking all the time. My goodness, it would be terrible if we were fully present, watching everything happen all the time. We could not handle it because we aren't the Lord. But God. That's his reality. That's just who he is. And so if we had all those same things, we would use it for our our own good and our own manipulation and our own whatever. Um, What does God choose to do with it? Well, that's where the eminence comes in. Verse 3. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Verse 5. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. That's what God does with his knowledge of your life. On your best day, on your worst day, that is what he chooses to do with his omnipresence in your life and his omniscience of everything that's going on and his eternal nature outside of time. This is how he chooses to use all that power to come to you and to be acquainted with your ways. And to him, to him you in, and to lay his hand upon you. Look, that, that's holy love. That's transcendence and eminence at work. That overwhelms David. He's like, it's too, it's too much. It's too wonderful for me. 
I've been listening through uh, some teaching on uh, some, some counseling things, and there are these two terms that keep coming up. And it's mostly in the context of, of parenting. Um, and the two words are attunement and responsiveness. A- attunement and responsiveness. And so attunement is when a parent um, knows, like has a connection to their child, and they, they can just know what's going on. From, from the day they're born until like the, the whole rest of the time, a parent is dialed in. You know when your kid is super stoked about something, like genuinely happy about something, when they are, are sad, when they're angry sad, when they're hurt sad. Um, you know when they're not feeling well. You know when they're disappointed. You, you, you just, you're instant, you're connected to them. You're attuned. Or another word, you're in tune with them. The other idea is responsiveness is like once you you can be attuned with someone, but you may not choose to do anything about it. But good parents are not only dialed in, they also, then they know what to do. They're like, oh, my, my child is sad. I'm going to comfort them. My child is sick. I'm going to get them medicine or take them to the doctor. My child is incredibly excited. I'm just going to celebrate with them. Those kinds of things. So it's, it's one thing to be attuned and it's supposed to be followed up with a responsiveness. That's a part of healthy parenting style and it creates healthy kids uh, when those things in addition to others are happening. That's, you know, that's what he's describing here. I mean, with that in mind, let me read those verses again. Verse three, you search out my path and my lying down and you are acquainted with all of my ways. Verse five, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. He's essentially saying, you are attuned to me and you respond to me. That's what you do with your infinite knowledge and your transcendent understanding of me and what's going on with me in this moment. That is stunning. And you may not be stunned by it right now. There will come a point when if you dig into this more, it will, it will stun you. I think that's what he's saying in verse six. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't, I can't attain it. Now, human nature would lead us to find an exception to that somewhere. Human nature, as we read that and we're like, yeah, sure. But this is David, you know, he's a man after God's own heart. He, he wrote a bunch of the Bible. Like he's pretty much like varsity Christian, right? Like he's starting, he's all district or something. Um, and it's easy to look at him and to try to find yourself of like, yeah, but that's probably not true for me because of this or this or this. And maybe not in this moment, but maybe, maybe like down the road, maybe you just royally mess up your life and you're like, yep, um, that doesn't apply to me. It applies to others. It applies to David, but not to me. And I think this is what 7 through 12 is doing. I think he's, a part of him is like, it's too wonderful. There's got to be, there's got to be a loophole. There's got to be a shoe waiting to drop somewhere. So this very, very quickly, verse 7. It says, where, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? In other words, how can I get away from this omniscient, omnipotent, eternal God who, who wants to hem me in and put his hand on me? Because, because there are those moments when we are so stinking ashamed 
of what we have done. Or we're, we've been so intentionally rebellious, you just, you just don't want it, you know. How can I escape? You ever have someone that's like trying to love you and be kind to you and you're like, no, you just stiff arm them? It happens with the Lord a lot. And I think maybe that's a part of what he's, a part of his process is where can I go to get away from this transcendent loving God? Then 8 through 12, he's, he's a poet, right? So he's finding these creative ways to basically say, I've found zero exceptions to this, this reality. Um, look at verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Sheol was the, it was a trash pit in Jerusalem. And it, it was just, they're burning trash all the time. It was just constantly on fire. And it was um, connected to the idea of, of hell in, in a sense. And so he's like, look, in other words, of like the best, if I sin, like if I'm like absolutely in the best place or if I'm in the worst place, you are there. Verse nine, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, uh, and b- biblical scholars look at this and they say, that's a turn of phrase to say the, the wings of the morning are basically the sun rising. Where's the sunrise in the east? What are the uttermost parts of the sea? The Mediterranean Sea was west of, of them. And so uh, to think the, the east, the west, saying heaven, hell, the east, the west. Um, then he does a darkness and light thing. Uh, verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. There are these, these contrasts that he's using. Heaven, hell, east, west, darkness, light. Almost as if he's saying, I have experienced the full spectrum of, 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 of my human experience. I have had the, the closest, most intimate, spectacular moments with, with the Lord where you just, you just feel that oneness and that unity and that true shalom. And I have like, done really stupid things. Like the whole Bathsheba incident, let's say, for example, which is not the only one on his list. And if, if I can just take a little bit of liberty, I think what he is saying is across that entire spectrum, you know what I've found? Uh, verses one through six are true. That in the, from the best to the worst, God is 100% consistent. He's not fickle like we are, you know. He's not hot and cold. He doesn't have a bad day. It's not contingent on certain things. He is who he is all the time. Don't you think that that makes someone wise enough to say, I know what I need in this situation. I need wisdom. Because I know... I know what it's like to live as though everything's on me and it just isn't because heavenly wisdom can be mine because my dad runs heaven and my dad is going to share with me what to do and how to do it. Isn't that great? Like in any situation, that's what's real and what's true. Not only for David, but for you and for me. And, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm understanding more and more why that's the beginning of wisdom. 
When we, when, we, when we understand the transcendent, imminent God is the one who is hemming us in and laying his hand upon us and taking care of us, that makes you the kind of person who wants to start off by asking him, I need to know what to do and how to do it. That's what makes you into a Solomon kind of person in that regard. I'm saying, give me, a, give, give me a mind of understanding that I could know the difference and discern between good and evil. And so the great part is, uh, about all this is that God's already, he's on board already. Like this, you don't have to convince him. I'm like, Hey, would you, how about, how'd you feel about working this little, he's like, no, this is who I am. That's why I put it in the book. We're kind of the holdup, you know, in most things. And we can be Solomon like in all the things that we're facing. And so you just take whatever is going on in your life and you apply this to it. Whatever is overwhelming you, whatever is making you afraid or timid or whatever you're putting off because you just don't know if you want to deal with it. Also, what is thrilling you and exciting you and what is like you just can't wait, like you're so excited about it. Like, I mean, not to like highlight anyone, but my man Jose is getting married next weekend. Right? Jose, you got to ask for some heavenly wisdom, dude. Like, but that's a great thing. It doesn't have to only apply to the terrible parts of life. It can apply to the awesome parts of life. And so, like, I think this, this is just such an important thing that, that we let God show us the wisdom in asking for wisdom. And only you, you know how that shows up in what's going on in your life. There are those big big broad stroke things that we're all trying to figure out in our, in our world, this like shared experience that is, you know, all the things in 2020, but you also have your own stuff. And, uh, the great thing is that God is infinitely interested in all of those things and he's connected already and he's already involved. And he's like, I know what to do. I know how to do it. And so we bring ourselves before the Lord and we just do what Solomon did. We just ask him. And we walk with him and we humble ourselves. And Jesus says that my sheep know my voice. And that doesn't, that's not an instantaneous thing necessarily. That's a, we, we learn, we learn heavenly wisdom as we learn, we learn the voice of the father, so to speak. Not always audible, but we learned to sense this is what heavenly wisdom is looking like. This is what he's leading me to do. And you don't do it on an island. You do it with other people. It's a, it's a community effort. Uh, so you involve others in your journey. And it's, just a, it's a beautiful thing when it all works. And when, it, and when we don't go down that road, the wheels tend to come off. Like It's just that simple. So where this fits for you is um, that's, that's yours. Um, and my role is just to like bring, my role is to like set the table, so to speak. And so we sing the songs, we study the scriptures, uh, this, is, this is what God has for us, and it's your choice to feast or not, you know. And so now it, it becomes yours. Now normally, you know, things are not typical around here right now, and uh, a part of what we have done f- for the last several years is, c- is have communion every week, because there's a, um, in Jesus offering, like, the, the key to understanding all this stuff really is the body and the blood of Jesus. Like apart from that, we, we have no access to heavenly wisdom. 
And so there's something about the, the Lord's Supper, about communion, about receiving the grace that he's offering to us and, and literally ingesting that into our bodies. You know, there's something that's symbolic about it, but it's not just symbolic. Like something special happens there. But because of the virus, and we're not totally sure how to do that safely just yet, we're exploring ideas. Um, we, we don't have that as part of our response time, but, but the spirit of it can still be there. That as we sing and as we pray and as you have these closing moments with just you and the Lord before we dismiss and life kind of swings back into effect, um, the spirit of communion can still be there. As us coming to Jesus and saying, I, I, I need you. And he's saying, yeah, I'm offering myself to you. And that it works out perfectly, right? That's so, so great. What you need, he is offering. And so uh, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to sing a little bit and just kind of let this be what it is for us before we close. And so I'd encourage you to steward these moments um, with the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm grateful for, um, for Solomon and for his dad, David, and just for the, the shared uh, wisdom and all that we see in the scriptures. And uh, I just, I'm going to pray and speak the words of this psalm. I'm going to reword it. And God, would you help us all to realize that this, this is how this psalm applies to us in part. That, that everyone in this room, God, that you have, that, that would know that God has searched you and he knows you. That he knows when you sit down and when you rise up and he knows uh, and discerns your thoughts, that he is searching out your path and you're lying down and he is acquainted with all of your ways. And that even before a word is on your tongue, the Lord knows it. That he hems you in, he's, he goes b- before you and he's behind you and he's laying uh, his hand upon you. And I pray, God, that this knowledge... W- would would be con, like truly too wonderful for us that that we would be overwhelmed by it to know that there is no uh, no extreme we could go to no nothing we could bring on ourselves or nothing that th- that life could just throw at us or that someone else could do to us that would make an exception to these truths that your holy love is ours because you have chosen to make it so Like you have willed this to happen. It's your desire. So may we receive that and be blessed and kept by it. Now we we love you very much. We thank you that you have loved us first. I pray this in your name. Amen.